Welcome to UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. Hello folks, hello, welcome, welcome to episode 11 of UpcomingHorrorMovies.com's UHM Podcast. I'm your host, once again, Ryan Tudelo. Uh, this week, joining me is um, our guest from over in Chicago, Mr. Mike Whittemore. How are you today, Mike? Good. How about yourself? Excellent. I'm glad to hear that you're good, and I can actually hear you now with the yes. correct audio settings. So, we got that down. Um, also joining me across the pond, uh, my co-host as always, Mr. Shane Smith. How are you this week, Shane? I'm good, thank you, Ryan. How are you? Excellent. Very excellent now. Excellent. So we got a little bit of a, I don't know, I guess this is sort of an impromptu episode, I guess you could call it. We just sort of threw together a Carpenter episode within a couple days. Um, and we thought we'd talk about some John Carpenter movies. Maybe not the ones that always get discussed when people bring up Carpenter, but I think we got a nice little selection. Uh, but before we get to that, Let's uh, let's start off with what we usually do. So let's uh, what's going on with everybody? What are you guys? What are you watching any other horror? Are you in any video games? What's going on? Uh, myself, I'm currently have a long list of video games to get through. I'm playing through uh, Gears of War, that um, remaster on Xbox One. Then I'm headed over to The Last of Us on PS4, and then I got a s- slew of other games to get through. Um, but for horror watching, I haven't been really keeping up on anything recently i just watched um stranger things on netflix which is pretty good but other than that that's uh my exciting life yeah i think we're i think we're gonna try to cover stranger things on a uh, future episode i know we want to get through it but my fault i'm uh <laughs> i'm still only on episode four i gotta get my act together and actually finish the rest of the series so yeah, uh, i kind of been, right show. like one day jesus so, so what have you been doing, Shane? Anything interesting? Um, aside from binging on Stranger Things, uh, I have been listening to a lot of music. I've been buying a lot of, um, uh, recently, New Garbage album, which is superb. Um, I'm going for some old back catalogue stuff as well. So uh, some old David Bowie albums that I didn't have. Um, trying to persuade a friend of mine to part ways with his extra limited edition nine inch box set of nine inch nails further down the spiral but he's not having it um watching john carpenter movies sure no movie uh yeah no games um nothing like that some pieces but that's about it cool yeah i've been and And what was that cat just the cat (laughs) He's growing steadily and being as psychotic as always. Yeah. Well, you got to get him snipped soon, right? Oh, yes. Forward to. Yes. He's not looking forward to it, but I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I've been um, I've been torturing myself a little bit lately. I've watched a few Full Moon movies that I picked up at a Full Moon sale, and man, are they just plain awful. Um I should probably put together like an episode of just horrible full moon movies. I mean, I feel like I could do days on that. I watched this one called Murder Cycle, and it's about uh, an alien entity that takes over 
a dirt bike and they bring in oh my god yeah and they bring in and, and the the alien is basically just plastic coverings over a dirt bike spray painted flat black <laughs> and then there's, there's like a guy with a black helmet and like like tubing you get at home depot painted black coming off of him and he drives around and has to fight the military it's so ridiculously bad i loved it <laughs> but that name though is brilliant yeah motor- motorcycle yep what else i watched another one too shrieker that was a really bad one um that was about some some demon that could travel through walls in an apartment complex i don't know it was really really bad the acting was like the worst but other than that i've been trying to watch stranger things i keep getting stopped by the olympics and preseason football um so yeah i've been pretty much busy with that nonsense and gaming wise i haven't really had a chance to play anything but i hope to get some gaming in whenever i get a chance so that's kind of what I've been doing. So anyway, let's go forward with the uh, the Carpenter films. The three we have on the plate for today. Um, we're going to go with Christine, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. But of course, if anything else comes up, you know, we'll obviously spill off in any direction that we actually go. So uh, let's start off with the earliest one on our list, Christine. Um Shane, did you want to sort of run through what the plot of Christine is? I know we talked about it on our, our uh, Stephen King episode a little bit. Um, yeah, basically, Christine, it's the story of a guy called Arnie who falls in love with a car, um, purchasing the car, not knowing that it's actually possessed, and and basically kills people who are basically not very nice towards Arnie or the car, you know, in, in no uncertain terms. Um, so it's, uh, set in 1983 and, um, I think it's set in, uh, 79, isn't it? 89? Yeah, I think he's right. Ah, right. Um, anyway, um, one of the movies that John Carpenter, um, started work on before the actual novel was finished itself. And, uh, it's telltale John Carpenter, you know, it's got pivotal scenes, pivotal marks of John Carpenter in this movie that makes it unique and a fantastic movie I think um, pretty cool uh, you still there you cut out a little bit Shane hey. oh, okay you were clipping out a little bit at the end so yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of Christine I think this one's really good um, what I really like about this movie in terms of the rest of Carpenter's films I think this one's a little bit different in that uh He does a a visual style in this movie that's, I I think, a little more unique than he does in some of his other films. When I tend to think of Carpenter, I think of him more of like a a storytelling director. He's sort of like a Steven Spielberg type where he's excellent at moving a plot forward and, you know, really explaining what's happening. You're never really lost in a Carpenter movie. Uh, And I think on this one, it's, it's kind of a simple story. So he doesn't have to put a lot of work into moving the plot forward he gets to stretch his legs a little bit i think and does some sort of unique visual stuff where he treats the car as a character and i I love that part of it when they're sort of panning around the car and essentially showing the car's reaction to things that are happening on the screen i think that's really cool definitely they um i i also consider that a, a good character 
of the film because uh, it starts off with Arnie and Dennis, but then uh, I guess I don't know if we should do spoilers or not. But it's from 1983. I think we could all spoil. <laughs> you, you never know. Um, <laughs> but Dennis goes into the hospital for a football injury, and then all of a sudden you just don't see him that much anymore. And then kind of what takes his place is the car. And it's just, it's a pretty brilliant move on Carpenter to kind of put Arnie, no pun intended, in the backseat. And Christine is like the almost the main character next to Arnie. It's, it's just very well done. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting. I know we, we sort of talked about the novel a little bit last time, but in in the book, um, what's his face, his friend, it plays a much more major role in the book. Like it's the story's almost told through his eyes and seeing how Arnie reacts and changes with Christine and whatnot. So it's kind of interesting that they they just gloss over him and they focus more on Arnie in the car than anything else. That is interesting. I do own the book. I own actually every Stephen King book, but I've never um, I've never read that one, which I need to apparently. Yeah, that one's really good. Um, is, go ahead, Shane. What'd you say? It is a really good book. It's very different Stephen King novels. Yeah, and one part of the book that they, they, not that they gloss over, but they don't even mention in the movie is that the previous owner of the car, it, in the book, it sort of hints that he's the one that's possessing the car and sort of taking over Arnie, where in the movie, the car is just sort of this evil entity, you know? Yeah, that's kind of different, because like, I, I pictured whatever evil entity is possessing the car, I picture it as a girl. So when you tell me it's like a past evil person, which in the movie they say it's the owner's, the original owner's brother committed suicide. It just, it's a little odd to me. Yeah. And they, um, the, that's so sort of how they explain, at least in the book, why Arnie starts like dressing like he's a, you know, he's in a fifties gang or something. He's got his popped collar and his slicked hair and all that. They sort of kept that in the movie. And I think it really works because they, it's almost like that's Christine's era, so it sort of makes sense that he's if he's becoming more like Christine, that he's starting to act more like he's from the fifties. So it works on that. It works on both sides, I think. Yeah, because in the film it shows Christine actually coming off the, um, coming out of the plant, doesn't it? Yeah, right um, in the beginning. She's been built, or she's just been finished. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense that it would be set in the fifties. Because it's a beautiful car. Let's face it. I'm no, I'm no grease monkey or anything like that. But it's like it is a beautiful car. And oh, it's gorgeous. The way they portrayed it in the movie it just looks amazing. The repair jobs it does on itself, fucking awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. That's one of those things that they. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I when I watched this this last time, I, I watched it with the director's commentary. That's on the the, the Twilight Time Blu-ray. And um, he explained how they did that. And you always assume, oh, it's just in reverse motion. But right. how, how they actually get the crazy car repairs to happen. So they, they start off with the shell of yeah. a car, basically just the body panels, right? Like nothing inside, no frame, none of that. And they've got mm -hmm. hydraulic pistons mounted to the, to the body. And they retract the pistons so it crumples the car from the inside. And they just, you know, film that in reverse and then play it forwards. And it looks like the car is uncrumpling. But wow. It, yeah, it's a pretty cool setup. Like, and you can't even really, when you're watching the movie, 
you have no idea how they're doing this. It's like, this is some type of weird trick, but they actually just crushed the car from the inside, sort of sort of imploded it, and then played it in reverse to get it to sort of look like it's puffing out. See, that's and that's how you know it's a really good effect. Because it's, it's been over, it's from 1983, and you still are looking at it now, and you're like, how the hell are they doing that? Yeah, it's so good. I love that. That's, that's the thing that always stood out to me. Like, I remember when I was a little kid seeing this movie, they used to always show it, you know, on, on TV during horror marathons and stuff. And you'd be watching it like, how the hell is that car being put back together? Because you see it is right there in front of you. It's not like it's some CGI cartoon thing or anything like that. And Carpenter was actually originally toying with the idea of not showing the car go through, you know, the rebuilding phases. He was just toying with the idea of just, oh, the car shows up the next day and it's completely fine. Yeah. It's kind of cool that he actually added those scenes, though, because it just adds more to the story. And it just shows how little that Christine actually is. Yeah. I love it. It's, I think it's, to be quite honest with you, I think it is one of my favorite Carpenter movies. It's a really well-structured film altogether. There's there's not many things about it I don't like. Uh, it's very well acted. It's the story's great. Obviously, it's you know from a Stephen King, but I mean, I, I I don't know. I wish they showed a little more gore in it when all the killing scenes. But besides that, I think it's I think it's a brilliant movie. See, I think it would have been really cool if they did it. Yeah, I agree with you. If they just shown the killing scenes, that would have been awesome. Um, but I love uh, the garage scene up and basically just plows everyone to yeah. death and the two guys run off and then you just see Christine roll over his burning corpse. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, that one's so cool. They, they actually built that entire yeah. garage and blew it up. That's how they did that. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. how you do things back in the day. You just build a garage and then you explode it. You actually had to do the stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, my favorite scene in it would be when the car is all smashed up near the end, and he goes into the shadows. He just slowly backs up into the shadows, and he reemerges, and it's completely put back together. Uh, I, I think yeah. it was so awesome. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's what I what I'm saying. Like with with his sort of visual style, it's so stylized in this movie that he pulls off stuff like that with the shadows and he the color palette in the movie is is very sharp. Like the reds are so red and bright. I mean, you watch a lot of his mm-hmm. other movies. You know, he's, some of his other ones like The Thing or, or even Halloween, and everything's kind of dull and toned down. There's yep. you know there's not a lot of brightness um, with like bright colors or anything like that. I mean. So for something like this, where, you know, the primary color of the car is that, like, fire engine red, and it just shows up, and everything looks gorgeous, and they, they sort of keep that that same look with everything in the movie. The football players' uniforms and, you know, the, uh, the street lights glistening off the road, everything looks just, like, crisp and beautiful. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. It looks, it, it, it just doesn't even look like a Carpenter movie when you're initially watching it because it is so colorful and it is it is kind of different yeah but also when you watch a carpenter movie you can tell it's a carpenter movie definitely oh of course well, way, yeah it's just the way he uses his camera angles and the trickery that is involved and everything about it it's he's just one of those very very unique directors i find yeah well plus his music of course immediately and he writes his own music he does all his own scores 
Um, but I think that when it comes to the soundtracks for movies, not only not only is it his score, but the music that he uses um, from like the 1950s for Christine is just amazing because they're great songs as well. And you know, obviously, I'm slightly older than you guys, so it's like I listened to a lot of that stuff when I was growing up because of the kind of stuff that my mum used to listen to. And just hearing that on the film itself is great, you know, because it's like, oh, wow, it just fits it so perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Anytime the radio comes on, I love that they gave Christine sort of like that's how she communicates is with the radio. Yeah. And all she plays. And what about the last line in the movie? (laughs) Like, I hate rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. Um, if I was going to give one negative, I mean, maybe not negative, but the the guy who plays not John Travolta, that looks exactly like John Travolta from Carrie. Buddy? Yeah, well, whatever his name is, and he's basically, <laughs> he basically plays not John Travolta. Um, oh, the Coford hair dude. Yeah, I don't understand why um, they would use him in this movie. I mean, he doesn't look like a guy from the 80s. He, he looks like a guy from, no. like, the 60s or, or 70s, early 70s, something like that. Definitely got a 70s porn star look about him. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I don't know that, that that sort of matches. I mean, the, the, the actor was fine. You know, he played a dickhead, and that's that's kind of what he's going for. But it, it was just too much Travolta for me. I felt like it was... Yeah, I think he was, <laughs> I think he was a little overacting a lot. <laughs> um but like there was the, the initial scene where you kind of introduced him and he pulls the knife out on Arnie. He he's like flailing his arms around. He's got the knife. He's like, you're going to you're going to wish you never messed with me. It's just like <laughs> it was just a little over the top. And then that's why I wish there was a little more gore in the movie, because his death is kind of glossed over. You just see Christine on fire going at him, but you don't really see him die. Yeah, but that scene was awesome when she's on fire. Oh, that's the gas station. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, Sean Ryan on the uh, on the Facebook page posted a review he'd written for it, and he, he calls out that scene as, like, his favorite scene in there, and I, I kind of agree with him. Like, when you see Christine just, like, burning in this slow roll coming after him, like, as he's running down the highway, it's so it's so sinister looking. It looks great. But, but yeah, I'm not a big, fa- not a big fan of the John Travolta. Yeah, I didn't like Unless John they were Travolta. going, unless Carpenter was, like, going for a... Like a set, like that much of a seventies look, because it does take place in seventy eight or seventy nine. But I think even then, that whole look of his was a little phased out. Yeah, I think so. Maybe he was supposed to be yeah. playing like you know the twenty five year old that's in high school still. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying to think of what else I wasn't a big. I mean, the the girl in the movie was fine. Um, you know, but actually, um, yeah, I think. I think I discussed this last time, but um, she actually had a twin sister. Oh right, right. Who they and they for a couple of the scenes in the movie. Yeah, yeah. They said that on the, the um, um, on the director's commentary, Carpenter brought that up, and he was like, he hadn't. He said he looked at her, and he's like, something's wrong. Like I don't, I can't, I don't know what it is. Something is wrong. This isn't, this isn't right. He's like, something is not right. And then when she spoke, yeah. he said she had a slightly different voice. And he's like, that's not the same girl. Oh, my God. And I guess everybody had a good laugh <laughs> on that set at Carpenter's expense because he wasted a bunch of film. Yeah, but I think she, I think her twin sister was um, they used her for the scene 
Christine in the garage at the end. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they actually used her for that scene. Hmm. Did not know that. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Christine. Uh, I think it, I it's one of those movies that doesn't... Nobody really brings up Christine as, like, their favorite Carpenter movie. And, I mean, I, th- I think that's because Carpenter has so many other great movies that while this one's really good, it sort of gets lost in the menagerie of awesomeness that he, that he normally has. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get why people gloss over it so much. I mean, it's got... I wouldn't even call it... It's not like a mediocre movie by any means. I just... Like you said, I think he's got so many great films that it's just kind of lumped in there. And Do you think people miss it out because it's not your typical Carpenter gore fest? Um, I don't think so. I think it's more that even in that time period, he had so many amazing movies. You know, you've got like Halloween, Assault on Precinct 13, Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China. They're Mm. all in that like late 70s, 80s sort of amazing time period for him that he's like unstoppable. And I, I don't think Christine's, you know terrible but that those list of movies all those are so good you're like oh if there's like if i have to pick like three or four carpenter movies i mean three or four might be from that list alone you know i could see that and that's not to mention other classics like escape from la or (laughs) yeah or um, memoirs of an invisible man Well, a classic case of Escape from L.A., the soundtrack was better than the film. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have that soundtrack. That's a great one. (laughs) It's a great soundtrack, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I say I have that soundtrack. What I probably should have said is I have that cassette, and I don't know that I can Uh, listen to it anymore. I don't have a cassette player. I didn't even hear it. I I think the the two times I tried watching Escape from L.A., I completely fell asleep. It's got Bruce Campbell in it. Does it really? I did not know that. Yeah, he mm-hmm. he plays the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills, I think. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> it's basically Bruce Campbell, and they made his chin even bigger. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, no, it's... it's As a What's that? He says, if chins could kill. Yes. If chins could kill. I've got that book. That was the name of his first autobiography. It's a funny read. Yes, excellent. So, yeah, Christine's pretty good. Um, well, let's go to our mm-hmm. next one on our list, Prince of Darkness. Um, I think, uh, Mike, you wanted to talk about this one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's one of his more underrated movies, definitely. And I like the overall sense of, you know, science and religion mixing so much in a film, which I can't really remember any other films to really do that the way Carpenter did I mean it's it's just it's such a cool plot I mean it goes right into it the lead guy is a little rapey but if you kind of can forgive that it's a, it's it's a really good movie um they go in that it's just so unique it's, it's hard to explain you they go in that little uh like the church building in the basement and you, you see that that green ooze and it's just the camera angles where he reverses it upside down and you see it going into the ceiling and stuff. It's just, it's a very, very well done movie. Um, they go, they go really into detail of the story. So they, you need to be really invested into it. In my opinion, yeah, you can't just like casually watch it. You have to really 
watch it watch it that's one of the notes i have on this like it's not uh, it's not a good movie to put on in the background while you're doing something and expect to be able to know what's happening if you def- if you're not really yeah, paying attention to, to it. Watch it yeah yeah definitely it's it's just it has it has that um aspect of it where you absolutely need to pay attention and i think it has some quality scares to it it's just it's a very well done horror movie. They're their dreams that they have where it's like all staticky and you see the figure in the doorway. That's generally creepy, even for a movie that's almost 20 years old or 30 years old. Rather, it's just it's a generally creepy film when she's at the end where she her face is like torn off and it's all gory and she's like, father, like that's that's awesome. That is so cool. But other than that, I mean, I just I really like the film. I think it's very unique. It's very well done. Um, the lead guy is a little creepy to me, but I can forgive that. Well, the lead guy, I, along with my, my sort of theme of playing not actors, I, that guy's like my not Tom Atkins. Like, <laughs> totally. He's not Tom Atkins, and he's not Tom Atkins' mustache, both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that should have been Tom Atkins, and then it would have been way less creepy, because then you could buy the guy being like this sexual machismo. <laughs> Like, oh, it's Tom yeah. Atkins. Of course women are throwing themselves at him. It's Tom Atkins. Yeah. <laughs> he, he just, like, kind of goes for it in the movie, too. Yeah. He watches her from a distance, from a tree, and then he, she's talking to a guy, and he's like, ah, screw it, I'm going to go up to her anyway. And he's like, hey, let's go have dinner. And she's like, I don't want to. And he's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> and they do it. It's like, whoa, okay. Uh-huh. That, and that all seems. Oh, that was funny. I mean, I mean, if if that's one negative, that all seems uh, sort of like a waste of time. You know what oh, I mean? Definitely. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know that that adds to the plot or the character development very much. Other than, <laughs> other than, I think this guy's kind of creepy. If that's yeah. sort of what you're going for. Um, I guess it's just a minor complaint. I don't think it really needed to be in there. That whole like love thing between him and the girl. Yeah, I mean, there's other ways to do it. You know. You can have the character interactions going on while they're while they're in the church doing the investigations and all that other stuff. You don't really need to have the the creepy stalking element put into it. One thing I did like on this, I love the cast on this that they bring in, you know, so many classic um, like previous Carpenter people into it. Where you've got like Donald Pleasance, <clears throat> you've got uh, Victor Wong playing the professor, and um, what's that guy? Uh, Dennis Dunn. Uh, Wang from Big Trouble in Little China. I feel like I'm surprised that they didn't get Kurt Russell involved in this. I hey, wonder, that would have been cool. Yeah, I wonder if there's some story that like maybe they asked him and he was busy with something else. I don't know. Yeah, but also it had the coolest fucking cameo ever because it had Alice Cooper in it. Yeah, that's oh, right. yeah. Who's that? Um, awesome that. Who's that guy that <sighs> can't describe him? Oh, no, I'm drawing a blank, so this is a whole waste of time of me even speaking. But um, <laughs> the guy <laughs> who was in the beginning of In the Mouth of Madness, and he was trying to like pull over Sam Neill. He's also in They Live, and he's also in this. He's like the like head guy of uh, like radio people, but he's in like he's in a couple of Carpenter movies too. Yeah, I just don't yeah, know his yeah, name yeah. off the top of my head. Um, he kind of looks like um, Meatloaf. Yes. He does look like Meatloaf. I know who you're talking about. Oh, I get a picture of his face. I can't remember his name. Boy. Well, regardless of who he is, it's just, it's kind of cool seeing 
that same guy even just make a cameo in some movies. Yeah. That's kind of like a carpenter like staple as well to use that guy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know what? Kurt Russell was filming Overboard. I wonder if he <laughs> And that's where he met Goldie Hawn, I think. Maybe that's why he wasn't in this movie. Huh. Oh, bad choice. Bad choice, Kurt Russell. Bad choice. <laughs> hey, Kurt Russell doesn't make any bad choices. Yeah, listen. Of course not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, this movie's you, you don't hear a lot about this from the horror community, too, really. Um, if you ask people that watch a lot of Carpenter, I mean, I didn't see this movie until much later. I, this was one of the later movies. I'm um, sorry. I, I saw this movie probably like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, as opposed to like when it came out, where most of his other films I saw more along. I'm not going to say release time, but, you know, when they were on VHS and video back in the day and playing on TV. So I feel like this one maybe didn't get as much play or wasn't as well received when it first came out, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember seeing this until about the mid-90s. I think I watched it once in the mid-90s, and then it was only recently, and I'm talking this year alone, that I actually managed to re-watch Prince of Darkness again and just got a newfound love for the film itself yeah because the uk horror channel yeah uk horror channel has a tendency to play some carpenter movies and prince of darkness is one of them is awesome because every time it's on i'm like i'm gonna watch this and just cancel any other plans because you know prince of darkness is on tonight so i'll be watching that instead right that's what i'm doing um, yeah so prince of darkness i think i think is a is an absolutely great movie and again with the soundtracks it's like the whole electronic that he does for that is just superb he, I don't know what it is with Carpenter but it's like the stories his direction the imagery the soundtracks itself that always fit so well yeah I really like in this one the dream sequences are the, are the sort of the they're like little horror vignettes going on for almost every character as they they sort of come to the you know their own end, um, and and everybody it's it's different. It's not like there's one, it, it's not just like a a group of zombies or there's a slasher or there's you know a ghost or something. It's it's this whole just evil presence throughout the movie, and there's so many different ways that people sort of get dispatched and the the tension's always on a constant increase. You know, with the cylinder down in the basement. Like the movie's yeah. constantly moving forward, but there's a lot of unique scenes and situations happening throughout it. It's it sort of got like a little bit of an anthology feel to it because there's so many different <clears throat> sort of vignettes, I guess you could call them, going on. Yeah, I could definitely see that. They put a lot of just like different aspects into uh, killing each person and actually you trying to kind of relate to each person. It's just very well done. Yeah, it probably was. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, if, if anything, I would have liked to have a little bit more character development on some of the secondary people that, that you know, they don't have too many huge roles. Like um, the the skinny guy in the beginning, I think he was one of the first ones that goes. I, I'm not even really sure what he, he was there for. Yeah. You get some pale with, uh, with a bicycle part from Alice Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah, there were a little too many. There was too many characters in this, and I think it, it, the story is so strong that it 
it doesn't really need to have so many people getting killed <clears throat> in different ways. Like I think the bicycle kills, you know, pretty good, but it didn't really like you just said, it didn't really uh, give anything to the story. It just it was just kind of there. Yeah, I guess I guess just more uh more meat for the grinder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to add quickly, um like slightly not well, not off topic. Um, but this is where my, I, I geek out a little bit. Marilyn Manson recorded um, a cover of Gary Newman's Down in the Park, 90s, and the static that you hear in um, the dream sequences of Prince of Darkness is actually sampled on his track. Really? That's pretty cool. So if YouTube Marilyn Manson's Down in the Park and you'll hear it because it's the first thing you hear is the static from the movie. Hmm. <clears throat> So that's pretty cool. That's when Marilyn Manson used to be cool. <laughs> yeah, went back when he used to be cool. Before, well, when he, he went shit in 2004, let's face it. But yeah. Um, so I, th I think this is a, I, I wouldn't call it a lost Carpenter movie because, you know, it's you can get it it's readily available and it's pretty easy to find. But I feel like it it's lost in, in terms of that not enough people watch it. Like, I feel like this should be sought after. This is one of my favorite Carpenter movies because it's it's different from all of his other ones, um, but it harkens back to all of them. It's almost like a love letter to all of his movies. And, you know, with the inclusion of the actors that he puts into it, I think that's that definitely adds to that sort of feeling. Like, I watch this and all I think about is Carpenter movies. So I think everybody should go back and watch this one. Yeah, yeah if you're going to watch it, this on DVD. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah, definitely pay attention to it. Because you, you can get lost if you're, like, sort of glossing over some of this stuff. Like, especially with the girl, you know, she sort of, I mean, that's, yeah, again, not to spoil anything in an old movie, but, you know, she sort of disappears and then comes back. And if you're not really following what's happening, you don't realize that she's not the same, probably. So, it helps to pay attention on this one. Yeah, Wait. my girlfriend was watching it with me, and Throughout the movie, she's like, I don't get what's happening right now. And I had to explain to her. I'm like, well, this, you know, this, 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 this. And she's like, oh, okay. But I'm convinced she still didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe absolutely. that's why it's not up there with his best films, if you ask, like, a regular Joe. Because maybe the story is so different. I don't know. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I agree. So that sort of moves us on to our next one, uh, In the Mouth of Madness. And actually, In the Mouth of Madness and, and Prince of Darkness are semi-connected, right? Because they're both part of the his um, End of the World trilogy. <clears throat> the first one being The Thing, obviously. Yes. Which maybe we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but again, In the Mouth of Madness, it, it, keeps, it sort of keeps that tie with Prince of Darkness that I think you actually have to be paying attention to this one. Um mostly i'd say probably more so yeah i i think it the not so much in the first half of the movie but i think the second half after it's really getting going where you know he's trying to get out of the town and there's sort of multiple dream sequences dreams within a dream type scenarios that if you're not really paying attention you're like wait is he actually there or is this a dream or sort of what's going on and if you're not really watching the screen you can got to get lost pretty easily in it. Um, but th this one is really Carpenter's uh, love letter to H.P. Lovecraft. 
and yeah. it, it's definitely got a little Stephen King in it as well, since the entire the entire point of the movie is based around a horror writer and sort of um, the horror writer's creations. And the, I mean, not to spoil anything, but it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without really spoiling it. Um, and that the main the main character played by Sam Neill is is an insurance adjuster or agent, I guess. And he's trying to he's an agent. He's an agent, right? He's trying to locate the this horror author that has sort of disappeared because they want to get his um, newest book published. And there he finds out that the horror author it, he suspects he went to this New England town, which is where you get sort of the Stephen King references. Um, where he's sort of hidden away with his book, so he goes out there to try to find him, and he gets sucked, essentially sucked into the story that's being written, but he doesn't realize it. It's 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 a sort of weird metaphysical thing, where he's a character in the book, but he doesn't know it, and it plays yeah. with that idea a lot, and I, I I fucking love it. Like it's it's the movie's really cerebral, you know with. It's not like um, Escape from New York or The Thing, where you're, when you're watching it, you understand that these characters are are in the movie you're watching. This movie's really fourth wall breaking, and and I'm sort of in a matter. Well, I could, they literally break the fourth wall in the movie uh, at one point. So I I think it's a unique movie to watch. These all these ones that we've been talking about, they're all like different from Carpenter's normal batch, I think you could say. So what do, what do you guys think of uh In the Mouth of Madness? I personally I Oh go ahead, Shane. I love it. I think it's a great movie. But um it's like it's, I watched it last night for the first time in about or so. And I remember I, it's just one of those movies I get so engrossed in. And I do find it fascinating. And like you said, the whole HP Lovecraft reference the fact that the name of Hobbs End is an old word that means devil end kind of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, Hobbs End or the word hob means, um, for the meaning of, of devil. So it's kind of, it kind of, um, suits it. You know, it's like the whole storyline and, get to the end and then you're fucked basically really cool story excellent characters um nice little uh cameo from charlton heston yep um julie carmen in um fright night 2 as well oh yeah that's right i mean that's that's something i haven't watched in a long time Friday night 2 uh i've not watched it for a long time either but um just thought it was um it's just a really really cool film and um thing about it but it is it's, you're right it is one of those movies you really have to pay attention to to find out what's exactly what is going on sam neill's presence in that film is superb funny as well it's about it because you've got the humor in there as um too the abject horror of what could be and I think it's a really good film. Yeah, I think they they do an excellent job also um, with the special effects in this. It's some classic K and B effects are put in this movie, and 
yeah. What's weird is that they're so secondary to the plot. I mean, if you read any Lovecraft um, at all, you know, he's always talking about the unending horrors that are in, you know, in the darkness. And I think the, the perfect scene is sort of when when he's staring over the abyss and um, the girls, yeah. the girls narrating what he's seeing, but the camera doesn't yeah. show it. I love that part because that's exactly what what Lovecraft is. It seems like that was yeah. ripped right out of one of Lovecraft's stories. But a references to Lovecraft, isn't it? Isn't oh, there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of the stuff that they use in the film, a lot of the lines is um, or indirectly lifted from Lovecraft's uh, short stories. Yeah. Quotes in there, but they kind of change it around a little bit to suit the, which is pretty cool, I thought, you know. Yeah, I mean, they even they when they show the the Sutter Kane, who is the author, they show the Sutter Kane like um, uh, stands that have you know his books on it or anything. Right at the top is a big Cthulhu head that's sitting up there, so you sort of get the impression that they're not so much winking at the audience as they are like, no, this is Lovecraft stuff we're talking here. So what what about you, Mike? What do you think of this one? I love it. Um, I, I have to admit, the first time I watched it, I didn't care for it. And I think even the second time I watched it, I didn't care for it. But the third time I watched it, <laughs> I feel like I'm in a Monty Python uh, movie right now. Um, but uh, the third time I watched it, I, I started liking it a lot more because I started appreciating it a lot more. I think this was the last time I watched it besides more recently is when I kind of first started getting into horror. And I, it just bored me to death, like completely. But as I kept watching it, I would say that it's probably his Carpenter's scariest movie. And I and I say that because it's just Oh man, just the way he tells the story is just so fucking scary. Like you said about like uh HP Lovecraft and how they don't really show it, it's just kind of you have to put it in your brain on what he's saying. And that, that scene with Sam Neill looking over into the best, that's brilliant. Um, the one part that sticks out to me and it's so small, but it's towards the beginning or it's the end. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think it's towards the beginning. <laughs> it's, either Sam the, Neill's, it's either the beginning or the end. <laughs> it's in the ass beginning or in the ass end, but it's when he's locked up in the padded cell oh, okay, and right. you just see that like arm come out of nowhere and just knock on the glass. Yeah. I love that. I don't know what it is, but I just think it's so it's spooky. The whole movie is just super spooky, and the effects just make it. Like, when he's running away from the um, the hotel, and you just see in the background that creature with the snake arms, and he's just, like, in there, and you could just see him in the distance. Like, the, the camera's now focused on him. You just see him in the background. It's just the attention to detail is just so high in this movie. I think the first couple times I watched it, I just kind of glossed over it. I didn't understand it. Yeah. And plus, I absolutely love Sam Neill. I think he's like a staple in the horror genre. He's just done so much for horror in general, and he's fantastic in this. He's funny. He's kind of saying what we're thinking. It's like, oh, well, he kind of, you know, the author kidnapped himself. This is all a big publicity stunt. And he's kind of like trying to debunk everything as it's going through. It's really funny, but it gets really good and. Everybody in this movie just does really well acting wise too. Yeah, he definitely plays the part of the audience, you know, because you're going you're going through the uh, the whole thing with him, and he sort of takes you on that trip where you're like, 
are am I actually in this book? What's what's happening? How does this go on? I like I like the part when he's on the bus. I mean, even though that's like the most confusing part of the movie because he he wakes up from a oh, dream yeah. on the bus like three or four times in a row. And uh, that yeah. one time when he, when when um, he has the author's words in his head and he's like, and he tells him that his, he's like, by the way, did I mention my favorite color is blue? And then he wakes up and like. Everything is blue. Screams. <laughs> Which makes you think because all the close-ups in the movie, all the close-ups, they give them blue contacts to wear. Yeah. Their eyes are all blue. And it's just, it's so cool because you, you think that scene alone, you think back, it's like, well, wait a second. I see blue a lot in this movie now. Yeah. Right. As soon as they mention that, you're like, oh, my God, it's fucking brilliant. So... You know what I just realized? I'm just looking this up. This came out after Jurassic Park. I didn't. Hey, Jurassic Park came out in what, 93 or 94, right? 93. This is 94. 93. Oh, wow. I thought it was always before. Yeah, me too. I would have I would have sworn that was the case, but no. It's completely wrong. Yeah, Sam Neill's great. I love him in uh, Event Horizon also. That's like. Event Horizon, Daybreakers, uh, oh, Daybreakers, Possession Day- in 1980. Omen. Yeah, the omen. The omen. He's in the omen. Conflict. Omen two, yeah, isn't it? Or three? Plays the final conflict. Oh, oh, when he's grown up. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna. Say, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I immediately went back to the first one. I'm like, where the fuck is he in the omen? He must have been like <laughs> 15 years old. Okay, I that you know what? I don't think I've actually seen that one. The final conflict. I haven't either, but really I just. Missing. I re- just remember the cover, and it's just Sam Neill's super young face, and he's like, hey, what up? I think I have that on Laserdisc. I'll have to go dig it out. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Yeah, but overall, I I, I, I think this is one of his last really good films. Carpenter? For Carpenter. Yeah, for Carpenter. I, I just, I don't know. After that, it just seems kind of, it kind of slowly goes downhill from well, what I've watched anyway. This was kind of all right. Vampires is all right. Yeah, I, I like Vampires Grew on yeah. Me. I, when I first watched that, I like despised it. I thought it was horrible. But I think that was only the case because I had just seen From Dusk Till Dawn. And I'm like, oh, cool, another vampire in the desert movie. And it was, you know, John Carpenter's Vampires. And I'm like, this is boring. I hate it. <laughs> um, but, you know, after but watching Valak in that was fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but after watching it again, I'm like, oh, this movie's awesome. I'm like, shit, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> You gotta like James Woods. Oh, of course, of course. But of course, the sequels to Vampires. I think one of them has Bon Jovi in it, so that's a big seller. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why I avoided the I avoided the sequels. No, I, um, that's how I got my girlfriend to watch them. I'm like, we're gonna watch a Bon Jovi movie. She's like, in love with Bon Jovi. <laughs> She's like, oh, really? I'll watch a Bon Jovi movie. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh, with Vampires, I thought Valak was like one of the coolest fucking vampires on the screen because it was just the way he cuts that guy in half at the hotel. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, he just fucking slices him up and that was amazing. I loved it. Shit. And the I have be- to watch Vampires. Amazing. Yeah, the beginning of that movie too is, is so classic when they're dragging the vampires out of the out of that house. That's the only part I remember oh, is so I'm really dragging out of the house. That was the, that was the jail. Was it a jail? Oh, yeah. I thought it was a house. Yeah. The, oh, no. Yeah. The house at the start and then there's the jail at the end. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
Now I'm looking at that movie stuff. <laughs> it's got Daniel Baldwin in it. Yep. That's another part I remember. Danny. One of the Baldwin brothers. And oh, what's her face? What's her name from Twin Peaks? Cheryl Lee. Yep. Yeah, looking incredibly hot in that movie. Yeah, face re- blood drinker. I gotta revisit that one. So, um, back on um, Mouth of Madness, we got a little little sidetrack there on that one. I I think I think this one also shares um, a little bit in common with like they live. In that, so you you there's like one character who's a believer, and they're trying to convince the non-believer. So like you know when they first get into the town. And the um, the book editor is trying to convince Sam Neill that they're like in they're in the story of the book, and he's like, "No, that's bullshit." It sort of reminds me of They Live when you you know you've got Roddy Piper, um, trying to convince his buddy that like yeah the entire world is these aliens and you know I could show you the truth and he's like, "No, I don't care. I don't even want to know." It, it, it the connection sort of and, and the audience is taken along that journey out with him, but then they're shown the light and. While in They Live, obviously Roddy Piper decides to combat the aliens. Sam Neill just sort of loses his shit. <laughs> it goes into the mouth of madness. Yeah. In a hilarious way. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I still think one of my favorite, funny. One of my other favorite scenes from In the Mouth of Madness is when he falls asleep in the car. And then she goes on this like wild ride into Hobbs End and he wakes up and he's like he yawns he's like oh thanks for driving (laughs) I just love that (laughs) so what I don't get also this is another stupid mental note that it starts in New York right is that where they are it's got to be New York right it looks New York and they they leave New York City by a car and they're going somewhere Uh in New Hampshire I don't know how they stretch it Oh, like it looks like it takes them like two days to get there. I think they said it was like six or seven hours. I mean that makes sense, but how does it go from, you know, Sam Neil driving to like passing out and then waking up the next day when they arrive? It's, it was well, def- when she was well when she was driving, it was nighttime. No, but when and she- then I think she just went into like a different like time warp or something. I understand when when he was driving, it was light though. So he's driving, it's light. That's when he blasts her with a horn for some reason, <laughs> like a complete, oh, yeah, <laughs> a complete dick move in the car. And then she takes over, and it's night. And when they arrive, it's the morning. You're like, wait, how long did it take you to get there? Like, was it like fucking fifteen hours? Women drivers, am I right? Oof. <laughs> I'm not gonna touch that one. I'll let you get the uh, the feminist backlash. Yeah. <laughs> The backlash on this one. <laughs> so, in in the the realm of Carpenter movies, um, how do you guys, how do you think this one stacks up, Shane? Like, does it hold up against you know something like The Thing or Halloween? Yeah, I think it does. It's it is um, one of those underrated movies, though. Because I mean, obviously, a lot of people, yeah, it's okay. You know, I, there's a couple of people who I know they don't rate it as highly as. I do, but I think it does. I, it's definitely stood the test of time. Is one of those last great movies where Carpenter her, he, his use of practical effects are just amazingly well done. But um, you know, story-wise, 
film, I just think it's great. You know, I, it's a movie. Yeah, what do you think, Mike? I think it's I think it's a fantastic movie now that I've watched it a few times and actually kind of grew with it. Started watching it more and paying attention a little more. And there are little shout outs like Stephen King and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft are really well done. Uh, I think Carpenter over the years, his uh, writing got a lot stronger and he went from doing movies like The Thing where it's mainly based on visuals same thing with Halloween and to writing these fantastic films that you actually have to pay attention to proving that horror is not something you just need to like kill a dozen people to be good it's this this a script is wonderful yeah yeah I agree I, I when I first saw this one I sort of fell in love with it even though I I, I saw this one also a little bit later I mean, but this was a this was a newer movie. I probably saw it around two thousand or so uh, for the first time, and I was like, "Oh my god, <clears throat> it, it's like cerebral! Like it, you can really get into this movie." So I was, I was always a big fan of this one. Um, let's talk a little bit about. I mean, we've been praising Carpenter obviously the entire time. Um, let's go into a little bit of his turds. Have you guys ever seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man? Never, never seen it. No, I'm the only one that's seen it. Well, it's a it's an Invisible Man movie, starring Chevy Chase, and uh, it's very <laughs> forgettable. It's it's Chevy Chase hijinks, but they they try to play it serious. Like it's it's not like a Chevy Chase movie like Fletch or uh, you know Caddyshack or something. It's they they try to make him a sympathetic character and like. Chevy Chase isn't really an actor. So he's not, you know what I mean? He's not good at like portraying not Chevy Chase. So it, it doesn't really work. I mean, that one has Sam Neill in it too. I think he plays the bad guy. By bad guy, I mean like, you know, his rival for the girl. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but I, even when I was like little, I can remember not not loving the movie. I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a dumb movie, and it used to always be on TV. But that sounds really weird. It's it, it's not like a horror movie. Actually, it's funny because it sounds like a movie I may have watched, but I have no memory of it at all. Why, Chevy Chase? It was. <laughs> it was it, it, it was supposed to be partially comedy, but it I don't know. It doesn't work as comedy really at all. And there's like one scene I can remember where he puts makeup on his face. He's invisible from the majority of the movie, but he has like makeup on his face. So it's and they green screen the rest of his body out. So it's this weird like CGI looking fake makeup face. And that's it. Nothing else behind it. And it, it's disturbing to say the least. Like, I think I don't know if Chevy Chase had a contract in there that he had to have his face in an Invisible Man movie, so they <laughs> so they gave the Invisible Man a face, but it doesn't make any sense. It sounds to me that I'm going to continue the streak of not watching it. Yeah, it might be worth <clears> checking <throat> out. Um, What about Ghost of Mars? I watched it once. It's incredibly forgettable. I've only seen it one time. That's exactly what I was going to say, Shane. I saw it one time, maybe like 15 years ago, and I swear to God, I do not remember what happens in the movie. 
can't remember. The only thing I can remember is it was it Claire Duval who was in the movie. I think doesn't she get decapitated or something? Claire Duval. I remember I seeing. Yeah, it's the only scene I can remember is seeing her being decapitated when they're trying to escape. The chick from Species in it. Um, what's that? Natasha Henstridge. Yep. All I remember yeah. is Ice yeah, Cube. Yeah, she was in it. I can't even remember. That's all I remember is Ice Cube. I, don't, I didn't even realize he was in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that a big movie. Yeah. Was. I remember the trailer. I think I remember the trailer more than the actual movie. That's what I was about to say. I remember Ice Cube in the trailer yes. over than the entire hour and a half of the movie is. is I need to rewatch sick, morbid, fascination kind of way. I know. I should probably. I mean, I I torture myself with full moon movies. I feel like I should go back and give this one another shot. Maybe it's not as bad it, as I remember. Maybe I'll watch it too. Have a little uh, horrible John Carpenter day. <laughs> well, Put the ward on there too. Sure. Body bags. That one wasn't that great. That, that's a tougher one to find. I think actually Scream Factory just re-released it. My buddy's got that uh, Scream Factory version. Yeah, it's it's okay. It, it's a TV movie, so you're not really expecting a whole lot out of it. Um, I think what he was trying to do, if you watch the movie, it, it sort of feels like a pilot. As if they're trying to get like a Tales from the Crypt type thing going. So they have a couple short stories that they cram together. I don't know. I don't know if that was the, actually the angle that they were trying to do, but it doesn't, it doesn't completely work. Not one of my favorite anthology movies. Despite owning many, but yeah. When did that come out? Never seen that. Body bags? Oh, jeez, yeah. it was in the nineties. Wasn't um, that like ninety-two? It must have been around there somewhere. It, it was. It was after they live, I think. They live was eighty-seven, eighty-six. Yeah, I know. It was after Taylor. that. It was, it was, body bags is definitely somewhere in the nineties. So, they live is great. I love that one. I watched that one this year. I just I had gotten that Scream Factory release last year. That was the one of the uh, movies that was showing in that 24-hour uh, horror movie festival I went to last year. My girlfriend attempted to watch it, but it was about 3 in the morning, so she fell asleep. So we rewatched it later, and uh, she loved it. It's a great movie. She didn't fall asleep during the fight scene, did she? Yeah, she did. No, she I didn't. know. I was, yeah. <laughs> Not during the fight scene, but she slept throughout. And I was like, hey, look, it's like this is... An awesome scenes were really high regarded and she's like <sighs> snoring away i love that scene because i i mean i, I should I, I wonder if the director's commentary is on that disc i should probably i want to watch it just to watch that scene just to like hear carpenter explain himself in terms of why he left like a 15 minute fight scene in <laughs> <laughs> and then they did on south park with the cripple fight oh man Oh, Cripple so fight, best yep. thing ever in South Park. <laughs> uh, do you know what? Every time someone mentions South Park, I'm like Cripple fight. Cripple <laughs> fight. <laughs> about that fucking show. Yeah. <laughs> it's just everything about that is just too funny. It really is. Yeah. I love it. That's what the good thing about <laughs> South Park. They don't like rip it off just to make fun of it. They respect it pretty much the entire fight. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If anyone what has, do you guys think of the ward? The ward? So I don't I, 
I can't remember that at all. I don't know if I've seen it. I may not have. Never seen. I never watched it. Never watched it. Everybody says it was, it's terrible. It, was just, it was one of those movies that had been released, and I was like John Carpenter, his scariest movie since blah blah blah. And I just looked at the blurb on the back, and I was like, Nah, fuck that. No way. <laughs> and just like completely avoided it. I watched it, but it's, how can they consider that to be incredible. his scariest movie? Online. It's not. It's it's not at all. It's it's very forgettable, from what I remember, because I watched it once and I I just kind of deleted it from my mind. But it's it's super <laughs> forgettable. The lead character is really stupid. It has kind of a good premise in a way, from what I remember, but it just it's a big cliche. It's like John Carpenter. Just it's it, it just doesn't seem like John Carpenter made at all. Hmm. Which is a shame because it's you have that kind of you can tell it's a Carpenter movie, but this one it just it really looks like any director could have directed it, which is at the time pretty disappointing to me. Yeah, have you guys seen um, uh, Cigarette Burns that that episode of Masters of Horror? No, I haven't. You ever seen any of the Masters of Horror? I've seen a few of the episodes. Yeah, I've seen a couple too. Yeah, I've got, I've got all season one. I don't know that I've seen season two. I can't remember it. I, I've only watched I watched them all one time, um, and I remember Cigarette Burns being a good one. And from what I remember, it was like uh, this guy's looking for this legendary horror movie that supposedly makes people crazy. Sort of had a little bit of um, the Ninth Gate kind of vibe. Like he's on the search for this like cult horror movie and talking to all these creepy people and gets in these weird situations. Uh, I think Norman Reedus was was the main guy in it. But it was good. I mean, that's a, that's sort of a, a recent Carpenter thing that I think is pretty positive. But again, those those are short. I mean, I think they're only like, what, an hour, 45 minutes, something like that? Yeah, I think around there. I think they're like an hour long. It's worth a shot, though. That's a, that's a, a quick watch for a decent Carpenter. Um, I know we were going to maybe talk about the thing. I mean, I guess we could go into it a little bit. Mike, you're probably a pretty big, uh, thing fan with the, with the ink you have on, right? Yeah, yeah I got some a, fucking sick ink, man. <laughs> I got my half sleeve dedicated to, uh, the thing. I actually, I was thinking about making my left arm tattooed in, uh, John Carpenter films. You could start with the Invisible Man. You could just point to that one and be like... I'm going to do Invisible Man, then Body Bags, <laughs> and then Chevy Chase's face on my on my uh, forearm. That's what you should get, just a creepy, not-attached Chevy Chase face. Just sort of floating in the middle of your arm. Like, not near anything else. Like, what's that? Oh, that's my Invisible Man tattoo. Oh, that's Chevy Chase. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but The Thing is my by far my favorite movie out of all genres. I, there was one time where I watched it twice a day for like four or five days. I think I, I love the movie. I, it's like the first movie I recommend to anybody who uh, is kind of new to the genre. Oh yeah. My my one friend he he doesn't watch horror movies at all. Like one, we saw Dawn of the Dead the remake in theater, and that was like the only horror movie we've ever watched. And he's a big classic movie guy, and he loves The Sting. And I'm like, well, if you like The Sting, you may like The Thing. It, it's kind of not the same, but kind of and um so i had him watch it and he loved it and i just i was kind of telling him i was like the director commentary i was like in every scene i'm like oh you gotta watch this and carpenter <laughs> to this and russell to this 
I think I have an unhealthy man crush on Kurt Russell. And uh, <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I like anything that guy does. I just it, it's so fucking awesome. But I I generally that's like my favorite movie of all time. I there I don't there's not too many things wrong with it. The ending is good because it leaves it up for interpretation. And I would just if you haven't seen the thing, you need to go out and see the thing. Yeah. Not the the shitty stupid prequel remake thing. So, no. My, my prop I wouldn't really have a big issue with the prequel if they didn't call it the thing like if it was called something else the thing begins or whatever like I mean I would be fine with that it yeah, just, if you that would have made more sense if you treated it as just a straight up prequel like in, in title I'd be perfectly okay with it but like I'm currently what were you saying go ahead no go ahead go ahead yeah but I'm I, it just blows my mind that they kept the, the same name i mean if you if you did that on any other movie and treated it as like a prequel like imagine if they did like even the texas chainsaw massacre prequel they called the beginning imagine if they just called it texas chainsaw massacre you'd be like what the fuck is going on why is this taking place like 30 years before and they don't really make it evident that it's taking place before the uh you know the, the carpenter thing I mean, it, it could be a perfectly serviceable, okay movie if it was treated with a little respect and they just had no respect for it. From what I hear, because I'm boycotting it for the rest of my life. I will never watch it. But <laughs> Have you seen I'm, it? I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I will never watch it. Never. I, I'll never watch it. Because from what I found out is there was an entire practical effects team behind that. An entire team. And they... They, if there's like a mini documentary on it, I don't know if it's like 15 or 20 minutes long, but it's on YouTube. And they go into detail about how these guys were making these amazing looking practical effects and they shelved it all just for CGI. And I will never support yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it's true. The I, I think the movie isn't, it's not horrible. I mean, it's it's certainly not good. And when you compare it to a masterpiece like The Thing, you know, one of the greatest movies of all time, it, it obviously falls short and looks like this massive turd. But when you compare it to its contemporary movies, like other sort of monster movies from that 2010s era, it's not awful. You're like, okay, it's okay. It's it's not great. But the fact that they tried to pass it off as some sort of studio remake when it really wasn't, it was made as a prequel and they tried to hide the fact by calling it the thing and, you know, removing some of the, uh, the other references that would have made it a more obvious prequel. It, it drives me nuts on that. It drives me nuts. Cause a lot of people that I tell that I haven't seen that movie, they'll go into detail about it. They're like, Oh, well, you know, they kind of give an origin of the X from the beginning of, you know, the 82 remake. And I'm like, I don't need to know the backstory about that. Cause it's already in the back of my head on what happened. I don't need to, I don't need it to be spelled out for me at all. Yeah. Did you ever see the original thing from another world? Yeah. I, you know what? It, it's a little goofy. I mean, it's, you know, from the fifties or really early sixties, but I think the dialogue is really, really well done in it like it, it they if you watch it again kind of pay attention to them talking because when they speak it's it's like how we, us are it's like how we are talking <laughs> it doesn't look like it's scripted it's it's pretty cool 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of that movie too. That was a Howard Hawks movie. He's one of my favorite directors of all time. The guy's like a fucking cinema genius. If it wasn't for Howard Hawks, there'd be like no director. There any director that you know, <laughs> you know because Howard Hawks existed. Like there would be no Orson Welles if it wasn't for Howard Hawks. There'd be no Citizen Kane. There'd be no, you know, none of these like fancy directing techniques and the use of shadows. He, the Thing from Another World is one of his later movies in his in his career. So, I think at that time they were sort of pushing him out of Hollywood, and they sort of stuck him with monster movies. And we're like, here, you can just make some shitty monster movie. But he ends up making this masterful, you know, classic. Um, that that's even that's the movie that's playing in Halloween and stuff. So you know, Carpenter's obviously yep. a huge fan of that. I, I liked it from what I I've seen it only one time. I, I really got to go back to it, but I, I liked it. I I thought the monster was a little goofy looking. But yeah. I, I liked all the characters in it a lot. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, when they show the monster in that one, it's obviously not as cool as the crazy half mutated alien that you get in the uh, in the Carpenter one. But, you know, it's a good watch. Have you played the video game, the Xbox game? No, I own it. I have not played it. No, I, I picked it up. I was in a like used DVD store that was closing and I saw they had it. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to buy this for like two dollars. And I just haven't put it in. My Xbox died. I don't know that it's compatible with the uh, 360 or not. I don't think that one is. Uh, actually, you know what? Yeah, it is because I played it on the 360, I believe. All right, Mel. I'll have to give it a try sometime. I think my 360 is still hooked up. But my uh, my girlfriend played through it. I don't know if she beat it or not. But from what she was telling me, it's and from what I've read, it's actually like a pretty good sequel to the 82 remake. Yeah, there's there's a few comic books I actually that they made for the thing that take place immediately after the uh, the Carpenter version, um, and, and some of them are interesting and some of them are just really terrible. There's like McCready get es- escapes from the the Arctic and the thing is like still around. Eventually, they make it to the jungle. I think there might even be one copy that has like the predator in it i don't know it gets it gets dumb oh jesus if they do that then i'm probably not gonna read them no i wouldn't be searching them out looking for anything good it was i think this was in the um early early mid 80s probably mid 80s early 90s where they were pumping out like alien and terminator comics that were sequels to the original film that oh, that's you, terrible. you're like oh this is pretty good it's interesting but then like this the film comes out aliens and um and terminator 2 and they blow away like what was happening in the comics and people are like all right <laughs> i don't give a shit about what's happening in these comics now <laughs> that's a shame that they kind of expanded on the ending to the thing because i think the first time i saw the ending of the thing i'm like i, I want to know more but the more i watch it the more just the more awesome you, it is right, the more you, you don't, don't even you don't know anything, right. and it's just you're wondering how Keith David got out of there. You're wondering how Kurt Russell got out of there. How long has it been since you know he blew up the alien? What happened? There's so many questions, and it just ends, and I love it. Yeah. Well, um, what do you think about the um, deleted scene at the end? What do you mean the deleted scene? The uh, alternate ending. I didn't even know there was an alternate Get ending. Get the hell out of here! You've never Swear seen to God. that. Oh my what is God. It? I might have I might have you Google this right now. Okay. Uh, let me see if it's on the internet. It's got to be on YouTube. Deleted scenes and alternate ending. Yeah, type in the thing alternate ending. It's on YouTube. 
ever found it, but I found it on my phone. You found it on your phone? So I'll have to... But uh, I've never heard of I'll... it, and you have it on your phone? Yeah, me either. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just I love that ending. I did not know there was an alternate ending for that. You just blew my mind. Now I got to get my tattoo removed. Yeah, right. Get it off. Well, you know what the good news is? Chevy Chase's face could make it right over that that <laughs> thing real easily. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna instead of having the poster art as my tattoo, I'm just gonna put Chevy Chase's face where the guy's face isn't, and where the light comes out. Just Chevy Chase. <laughs> there is a thing, if you go on YouTube, I think I found it. John Carpenter's The Thing, 1982, alternate ending and with vintage featurette. Um, maybe it's on my Blu-ray. I'll check it out another yeah. time. Okay, but there's a teaser trailer with the ice block. Right. I mean, it, well, that? Basically, well, the other ending is like it, sh it shows the dog sort of running and it says you never know who is the thing. Yeah. So... That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool that they added that in there to kind of oh. give some closure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I reminds me of the descent ending where it's like two different endings. Yeah, they sort of give you two. Yeah. Anyway, um, that little sidetrack. Yeah, the thing is, I think the thing is probably Carpenter's best movie. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of people that would go counter to that. If they do, it's definitely top two or three. <clears throat> I could see people putting Halloween above it. Yeah. It's my personal favorite of his, but I think a lot of people will disagree with that. I think the Halloween's probably, it's more influential in, in the world of horror and cinema in general, but I think The Thing is like a near-perfect movie. Oh, definitely. I, I, I Like I said, I can't really think of any major flaws of it. All the characters are likable. All the characters are have a personality. Even the dog has a personality. Sure. It's like, come on. <laughs> the dog, oh. My dog does what we call the thing pose, where she'll walk into a room and just <laughs> her head's down a little bit and she stares at you. And we're like, oh, God, like <laughs> that was oh, I, I watched the thing with Elisa sort of early on. Where we're, we're going out and uh, her, our dog Butter is like like she comes in and does that. The thing we call it the thing stare. We're like, God damn it, Butter. Get the hell out of here. You're creeping us out. Your stupid thing stare. It's so funny when she just does that. under her table. Yeah, but she'll just walk into a room and just, like, stare at you. Like, oh, my God, this dog is fucking creepy. She's definitely an alien. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, that's what we got. Um, you guys got anything else Carpenter-related you'd like to bring up real quick? Or we can sort of round off this podcast? Um, I mean, we didn't really talk about the fog or the escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, some of those other ones, but you know, there's always room for more. Yeah, that could be for a different or, day. Or, or Halloween. I don't know if anyone ever heard yeah. of that movie. I have never heard of that. I think it's a <clears throat> really good Rob Zombie movie, but it's more known. If anyone's going to do horror, I think Rob Zombie would be the master. It's of more known for the second movie. one because I think Rob Zombie's Halloween Two is the best version. I think. <laughs> I think that's widely known. You guys are fucking insane. You really are. <laughs> he's got zombie in his name. Obviously, he's going to be a good director. Yeah, that, that, yeah, he's a better musician, unfortunately. People um, people talk shit, but I will. I am one of the. I'm not going to call myself a Rob Zombie defender, but I like a lot of his movies. I think there are good parts to every Rob Zombie movie. Every? 
Uh, I haven't seen El Super what? Beast though, so I don't. I that's, can't. I can't really speak for that one. But I've I've actually got that on DVD. El Super Beast <laughs> Never watched it. No, I've I never watched seen it that. once. It was really bad. I haven't seen. I it. I like Lords of Salem for like the first forty-five minutes, and then it just kind of went downhill. That one I love. I got to watch that a couple more times before I really get into it. But that movie at all? Yeah. It bored the hell out of me. We're definitely Soundtrack was good, though. Lord of Salem? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do a Rob Zombie episode. I should probably get uh, George in here on that. <laughs> that guy hates Rob Zombie. Oh, more God. Than I think I think him and me are kind of really anti-Rob Zombie. <laughs> Listen, he puts. <laughs> I think he puts you to shame with Rob Zombie hatred. He is like... If anyone, if somebody across the room could like mention Rob Zombie under their breath, and he'd come over and like punch him in the face. I think I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to get him involved in that episode. Yep. But anyway, personally speaking, I think Rob Zombie is a better better musician than he is a director. Um, mm. I don't know. Uh, I, I'd say Devil's Rejects. I'd say when early White zombie yeah early rob zombie music yes i think rob zombie's probably i'm not a big fan of his newer music so first two albums of rob and the last like three albums of white zombie yeah all the all the white zombie stuff and the first two rob zombie albums are fucking superb yeah after that no we'll have to get into that for a uh, for another episode <laughs> so i think for now we got Pretty good, uh, pretty good run on Carpenter. Um, everybody should definitely check out Christine, Prince of Darkness, and Mouth of Madness. Um, you know, since most of his other stuff is pretty popular, and anybody listening to a horror podcast is probably familiar with, you know, his normal thing, Halloween, and uh, some of his other ones. But definitely, <clears throat> definitely check out um, the ones we discussed today. So, um, anything you guys want to plug? Um, um, yeah, you can f- you can follow us on Twitter at UHM Tweet. Um, we have two Facebook groups, these, um, and the upcoming horror movies fans. Yep, and the mother site upcominghorrormovies.com. You're one of us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure. Add us on Facebook if you want, or, uh, you know, you can hit us up on uh, the Twitters. So I think Shane has his. And you've also got Instagram as well. Yep. So, uh, so yeah. I guess we could call it a day, fellas. I mm-hmm. will see you guys next time. Thanks for joining me. And I guess, I guess we could just say bye for now. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to UHM's podcast. Join us on Facebook, and please visit our main page at upcominghorrormovies.com. We'll see you next time.